She's pregnant, and she was stabbed in the stomach. That's what we learned today about the woman who was attacked in a home invasion in Erickson, Manitoba. Today on The Start, we spoke with one of her family members who described the horrifying details of this incident and just a warning that some of these details are amongst the worst things you will ever hear. She's going to survive, but her life will be changed forever. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, June 8th podcast for The Start. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb on a beautiful Thursday morning. Nice sunny sky, but we have seen some pretty nasty storms make their way through the province over the last several days. And Loren, uh, maybe uh, one of the hardest hit areas is in western Manitoba. Yeah, I was shocked when I got home last night and just jumped on Twitter before bed to see if I'd missed anything while I was out with the kids doing stuff. And there was a, a couple tweets that caught my attention, one from Oak River. So that's just northwest of Brandon, southwest of Minnedosa. And uh, the, one of the farmers there had posted these photos of, you know, paint had peeled off one of the structures in their yard from the hail. And hail in some parts was two inches he said the fields were coated in hail. There was equipment that was tossed by the wind because at one point they did have a tornado warning. And so we're going to visit with that farmer just after seven because also his crops have come through, right? And so you've got several inches of crops that have poked their way through. And, and he's estimating that he has 2,000 acres ruined. Now, there's this insurance that might come in. He's debating whether he should recede and all the rest, but he's not alone. And it sort of was this isolated storm that we've been talking about, like on the weekend. We woke up Monday morning reflecting on the fact that if you could drive five minutes and be in a storm, out of a storm, blue sky. And so I was surprised to learn that Oak River and Hamiota area had had this intense system move through last night. So not only was there farm equipment, you know when farm equipment gets moved in a storm, there's been heavy-duty wind the paint mm-hmm. on houses was actually peeled off in one of the pictures that I saw. That is something else. That is Mother Nature at full force, Brett. Did you say the the, the two inches like two inches deep of hail, or or the piece the hail pieces were two inches? But depending on who you read, the hail pieces were two inches, but it also could have been two, like a layer of two inches thick. That's bigger I'm not than sure. a golf ball. That's well, that's almost baseball size hail. So. You know, I think that when you when you when you look at what's been going on, you're not surprised given how hot it's been, and that's the kind of storm that you typically expect. But I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say because he's got crews coming in looking to clean up, and then just the idea that you know, for there's damage to your cars, there's damage to your home, but for farmers, once your crops start coming through and you have storms come in, hail. I remember growing up and being standing by the window on hail watch. Like my, you know, parents worried about the storm coming because uh, you had your whole livelihood is just sitting there waiting to get hammered. And you can say all you want about insurance. It doesn't always cover the way you want. And it also doesn't cover the way you need. And it means leaves you in a position of deciding, you know, do I re-sow? Do I leave it? Do I just push it to next year? And so, yeah, for a large chunk of this province, when you look at hail, it's not just about, oh, my car might get dinged. And if you think Oak River, Oak River, Manitoba, that sounds familiar. That is the birthplace of former Winnipeg Jets coach and general manager John Paddock, who's now uh, the owner of the Regina Pats and head coach and general manager. I don't think he's the coach, but he's everything. Do they have a sign for him in Oak River? I wonder. Well, we'll have to ask about that. All right. So we'll have more on this situation at 7.05. We'll speak to a farmer in Oak River. And Greg, you mentioned the Jets. Uh, PLD. Three letters associated quite prominently with the Winnipeg Jets, and by the looks of it, not anymore. Well, Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, all over Twitter last night, his name was was trending across the country with regard to sport. Uh, there are a couple of reports from, from high-level, high-respected hockey insiders that suggest that Pierre-Luc Dubois' agent, Pat Brisson, has told the Jets that, they don't, that Dubois doesn't want to play for them. Which he summer. can't, which he can't, he's not a, that's not on the table for him in theory, Yes right? and no. So he doesn't, as of July 1st, he will not have a contract with the Jets, but as the hockey verbiage would be that the Jets have control of Dubois for one more year, he's a restrict, he'll be a restricted free agent. So the Jets, if he wants to play somewhere, he has to play in Winnipeg unless, of course, the Jets trade him elsewhere. So we'll speak to our hockey insider, John Shannon, to find out what he thinks about these latest developments, how accurate he thinks they might be, and what do the Jets do ultimately 
with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Has he played his last game as a Winnipeg Jet? Yes or no? We'll try and get the answer to that for you in a couple hours' time. All right. And then another thing we're going to be discussing this morning is do we need to have the LC model for getting into the store at grocery stores? boy. I I can appreciate how there are some retail outlets that have gone to that space in their heads wondering the same thing, given the theft and the shoplifting that's out there. I just can't imagine standing in line outside the grocery store. Like, in theory, well, maybe not for some, but you're going there more often than the liquor store, and you don't, in theory, need to go to the liquor store. But the grocery is a must, and standing to minus 40 in a lineup outside a big box store sounds crazy to me. Yeah, that was during the pandemic. That sucked. Yeah, yeah, like, but I, it worked. It made a difference, and I and I don't complain at all about it now. I get it. Uh, but it just seems like a, such a huge leap to have to make. But the union, representing a huge swath of grocery store workers, was on the news with Richard and Julie yesterday, and we'll share more of his audio just after 6.30, but he's suggesting that definitely more needs to be done. I know there was a lot, there were a lot of people that were upset when MPI mandated um, immobilizers on a large number of vehicles in Manitoba when car theft was at its height. Uh, that was one way that people could prevent that. And I know that, that the, the attitude to that was, well, stop the criminals from doing what they're doing. Well, in the meantime, what do you do? I'm not suggesting that this is the answer, but I guess just like the question we had four or five years ago about liquor thefts, and so many of our listeners sort of said, let's go to this model like you do at the at the nightclub. Scan your ID. You have to get checked. You have to legitimize yourself in order to get to the liquor store. Doing that in a grocery store, I think, is on a whole other level. But if you don't do that, what do we do? My shoulders are shrugging right now. I don't know. I just, it's a, it's a cumbersome process and there's way more people going through a a grocery Mm -hmm. store Mm -hmm. than a liquor store. The the way that would slow things down on the flip side, I wouldn't, I mean, you need your groceries. So if you have no option, you have no option. And how do you prevent someone that doesn't have ID from coming into your store to purchase food? That's a great. That's a slippery slope, too, in my mind. Yeah. Okay. And our question of the day, by the way, at CJOB.com, UFCW's Jeff Traeger suggests the MLCC concept of showing ID at grocery stores to prevent violent encounters. Is this a good idea? 41% say yes. 59% say no. Cast your vote at CJOB.com. Also, today we are going to be talking, inspired by the fact that you can actually come play it at some point today at 201 Portage. Cornhole, Mr. Greg. We've been talking about cornhole for a long time on this program. It has reached uh, unimaginable heights for some. There are professional leagues, there are world championships. There's even conversation about cornhole being part of the Olympic Games when it goes to Los Angeles. Uh, We'll find out about a company here in Winnipeg who might make some of the finest cornhole boards on the planet. Excellent. So we'll talk more about that at 645 and tell you how you can win yourself some tickets for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Also just wanted to quickly say happy birthday to my father, Smash Gordon, if you're up and at him. Happy birthday, Dad. Happy birthday, Gordon Garrett. Skip around the room, skip around the room. I won't shut up till you skip around the room. Get going, Gord. You you never heard that before? No. I used to have cousins that do that. Uh, They'd be obnoxious, and they'd be like, skip around the room, and they would go until you skipped around the darn room. Really? Uh, (laughs) It was annoying. Okay. Do it, Gord. Okay, Dad, there you go. Skip around the room. Happy birthday. (laughs) It's Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Coming up after Global News at 7 o'clock, we're going to head out to Oak River in western Manitoba after a vicious storm peeled the paint off the home, tossed some equipment, ruined 2,000 acres of crop. Uh, So again, that's coming up at 7.05. And before we talk about potentially changing the way we do things at grocery stores in terms of getting in, uh, what does Mr. John Paddock have to say? No, it's from uh, Brian Munns about John Paddock in Oak River, the uh you know, one of the most famous, if not the most famous son of Oak River, Brian Munn's on his way for a round of golf and Gilbert's Gilbert Plains listening this morning. He says, John Paddock is the coach and GM of the Pats, not the owner. So thank you, uh, Munzee. All right. There is no question. Changes that the controlled entrances at liquor stores 
made a huge difference and not just reducing theft, but making staff feel more safe. Now, one of the unions representing a large number of grocery store clerks in Manitoba says some retail stores should consider making their own changes. Jeff Drager is the local 832 president for the United Food and Commercial Workers. Theft is probably the most common concern that's brought to our attention by people working in retail, whether it's uh, the folks that are working in grocery stores or the folks that are working in the cannabis industry. Um, you're seeing a lot, a lot of theft, and our members are witnessing a lot more serious incidents happening. Uh, and obviously, uh, many of them are, you know, connecting with WCB if they do witness something, because uh, some of these folks have some pretty uh, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms coming out of those those incidents. So we mentioned WCB is in workers' compensation claims there for either mental or physical injuries on the job. We heard from the city of Winnipeg earlier this week that those are up year over year. So we know that these claims are coming in in a wide variety of frontline positions that go beyond paramedics and police officers. And for grocery store clerks, you know, they're told and staff, people are told not to intervene and to do their part to keep themselves safe. But that doesn't mean there aren't other things that go down. And so Traeger was on the news with Julie and Richard yesterday. And I want you to listen to what he has to say and then weigh in with your thoughts. Quite honestly, the stores just aren't doing enough. Uh, You mentioned the MLCC. I've been talking about that as a good solution. Um, But one grocery store won't do it um, unless they all do. And they're making a ton of money right now. I'm sure you've heard all of that in the financial reports for companies like Loblaw and Sobeys. And they don't want to clamp down on anything unless everyone clamps down equally because the customer has a tough time getting in or finds it annoying getting into the store because they have to show their ID or they're at a controlled entranceway. Well, uh, they're going to go to a different store that isn't doing that. So it's really a matter of uh, potentially needing to have something industry-wide and not company. Jeff, can you imagine a world where we all have to line up and show ID to get into a retail establishment? Isn't that an avowal of failure on so many parts? Yeah, I would agree with you. But now they're talking about putting alcohol in grocery stores. So uh, you've controlled the entranceways, which which had a major impact on the MLCC crime. Uh, you're just going to be moving that crime into the grocery store. I think we've got a bigger societal systemic problem that has to be dealt with, Richard. I think you're absolutely right. So for as much as we think about this and go, oh, my God. I can't imagine lining up to get in the grocery store. What is the busiest retail operation in Winnipeg on any given day? You're going to Costco. You're going to Costco. What do you have to do to get into Costco? Yeah, but I don't have to stand and wait for them to scan my card. I do have to show them a card. So maybe there is an intermediate or an in-between solution and borrow the Costco model. Was that ever about theft, though? That's more about just proving you were a member at the time. Oh, I don't know when they're checking my bill. I think it's about theft theft on the way out. Yeah, they they have way more controlled entrances, and you still go there. I get your point. So this is from Lorraine. She says, uh, uh, Costco's way of doing business is a good example of how to control these issues. LC is also working. Each box store can provide a card. No fee ID card. The solution would be a picture ID card, but you wouldn't like that method because information gathering on people. Stores need one door as an entrance and exit. Too many ways to exit the stores with stolen goods. Show a receipt and have enough staff at the exit to move people out. That alone will be a deterrent at the exits. So, uh, it's a thought. It's a thought. I, the thing is, the liquor store thing was about scanning your ID. Was it not like a bar so that they have your face in the system so that when you try to leave, they can identify right. who you are? Right. Well, and and to make sure that you're of age, that that was sort of that sort of the uh, the uh, justification or the ability to do it legally, I suppose. And that's not happening at Costco's. But are is that store a model of something that because you do have to have the card to get in, it might deter the people who would try to go in in the first place to steal. So do you just have a card system, some sort of elite card system for everybody at, at all these stores. I don't know. Something has to be done because so th- what's happening right now is not working. And a lot of people will say, oh, we need some more security guards. Th- sorry, security guards are not police officers. They will they will stand in the way in certain circumstances and try and hold people for a police and, until things get serious. And then they, you know, they have no choice but to, to move out of the way and let these people go. 
Uh, they're, they're not making a hundred grand a year. They're making 17, 18 bucks wow. an hour if they're lucky. So that's not the answer. Janet said she's witnessed three shoplifting inf- incidents in as many months at the dollar store. In one case, the security guard tried to block the thief until a knife was pulled. And then and, what? And then the other two cases, the individual individuals just walked out with merchandise without even trying to conceal the items. I get it. It's brazen. Some of it. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be in that job, Brett. Could you imagine stopping somebody for their $18 worth of stolen spatulas and chips or whatever you're taking? No. I remember I was, uh, I had to make a late run to Safeway, <laughs> probably to buy bad potato chips on a Saturday night, but whatever. Uh, and the security guard was trying to stop somebody who was trying to abscond with, I think, a bag of cookies and maybe a cake. And uh, there was a bit of a struggle. I think, I think the merchandise was eventually dropped. But uh, it, it, I sort of st- I, I stood there waiting to see if, if I would have to jump in and, and help out because it looked like it was about to get violent, but it didn't. But still, I was thinking, like, this guy's probably, I wonder what goes through their mind. Like, do, is this worth it? Is this worth trying to stop this guy for a bag of cookies? It, it's, it's, I don't know if it's about, you're right, it's not worth it for that employee to die or to get hurt over a $4 bag. And on the other hand, I, you, if you were working in that situation and watching it so many times, you would be so frustrated with people just having that audacity to walk out in front of you like that, that I could see myself or you or others just saying, come on, you got to be kidding me. And you wanting to get and gang up on that person to put it to an end. Cast your vote at cjob.com or question of the day. Is this a good idea? The concept of showing ID at grocery stores to prevent violent encounters Yes or no, cast your vote, cjob.com. We'll put that up on Twitter and Instagram as well. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Today at 201 Portage, they're doing something, I believe they're calling it Games in the Plaza. They're going to have some games outside, some giant Jenga, some cornhole. And yes, this is a game. Greg, what is cornhole? Just for those who might be thinking we're talking about something else. It's a, it's an elementary game, really. It's pretty basic. It's a beanbag toss. It's a, But it, it involves a board with a hole. It's about, I think it's about six inches, maybe eight inches across. And just think of a traditional beanbag and you take turns throwing it at this board. You get three bags per turn. If you get it in the hole, you get three points. If it rests on the board you get one point it's so popular there are stand-up arcade versions of this game there are professional leagues it is an absolute tour de force this sport it may even end up in the olympic games wow that's how popular it is all right so we want to discuss summer yard shenanigans do you have a favorite summer yard game or perhaps you've got not not necessarily a story about a game but maybe some tomfoolery around the campfire 204-780-6868 for a chance to win some tickets for tomorrow night's bomber game we'll pick a winner at 9 15 like for example you ever get into a heated argument about leaning too far over the line in frisnock you ever play frisnock cam yes of course yeah okay for no, those. no, as long as your feet are, are behind the line, you can lean as much as you want. Okay, so that can you explain Frisnock for those who maybe okay, have never so you, played you, it? You, you, have a, you have a stick, and you put it into the ground. I think you can have, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three, and you use a Frisbee, and you have a, a, a beverage on top, and you try to knock uh, the, the, well, you don't have the beverage, that's what you're, you're drinking, but you have like an empty can yeah. with a little bit of water in it, you try to knock it off with the Frisbee. Yeah, so I got into a fight because I was leaning too far. I would, my feet were behind the line, but I I was using my reach yeah, to your advantage. Listen, They're like, no, no, you got to release the frisbee behind the line. No, right. no, no, no. Somebody was jealous of your six four height. That's what I think was. Going <laughs> on. I, I love fights that result out of games like that, as you mentioned, because you just get so heated. Like you're suddenly just it's ten p.m. and you're not quitting until. <laughs> Sounds like that person made up that rule on the spot yeah. there because they didn't. Well, like, yeah. really, it's <laughs> like when you you accidentally tee up your golf ball six inches, like in front of the like the the tee box or whatever. Yeah, because that's six inches. That's going to make the difference on the 300 yeah. yards. Yeah, that's oh. going to stop me from hooking it into the woods. <laughs> yeah, that, that one that one really drives me nuts. But like, you know, that's a stroke. That's a penalty. Like, shut yeah, up. yeah, shut up. <laughs> All right, so let's go around the horn here. Well, Poitras, why don't we start with you? with the Croquet. I love croquet. I feel fancy doing it. I feel like I'm like... <laughs> 
uh, uh, somebody that's very, very English, a, a member of the Blue Bloods, uh, an all white, sh- white shorts, white shirt with some sort of like straw hat. And I'm sitting there with the crow. You don't mallet. have any of that in your, Not in your at all. wardrobe. But I feel like I'm one of those people like in the corner. Your mom's watching with her tea like cucumber, job, there's tummy. there's cucumber sandwiches. And, yes. you know, they're, they're like the, the, the women have have bonnets and they have those umbrellas sitting on the side parasol. watching. Yeah, parasol watching the men play because that's what they do in night <laughs> in Victorian England and stuff like that. That's what I feel like. I love croquet. Croquet would be fun. What about polo? Would you like uh, to play polo? I, well, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think my coordination is anywhere good enough. I, I'm, I've only been on a horse a few times, so I, I couldn't do it. What about that game in, what was it, Rambo 2, when they had the, the sheepskin? When they're chasing off the sheepskin? Was, oh, Rambo 3, when he was in Afghanistan. You remember that one? No. Anyways, they're playing some saw. sort of Afghanistan game on horseback. I thought he was in Burma. Sheep. No, that was that, the fourth one. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. He, yeah, that's a good one, too. <laughs> that, that's a super violent movie, by the way, that fourth one. Um, Skyler, what about you? That sounds about uh, like too, too many Rambo movies to me. But, <laughs> There's, uh, there is a fifth one. <laughs> last, last three, last make blood. it three. Three too many. Uh, mine's uh, Beer Darts. It's uh, maybe a more... Uh, Fast forward version of of uh, what'd you call it? Be- knock. knock. Okay, we called it Beersby and Brandon, but same same concept. <laughs> Beer darts. Uh, you put your can on the ground. You put it upside down. You sit uh, a little bit behind it, hopefully a safe distance away, and you sit in a circle and throw real darts, <laughs> like metal darts, at the beer cans. And if you like um, from a dartboard, or are we talking yeah, lawn like, darts? Like out of, no, like the the real ones. Right. And this, uh, please play responsibly in the drinking and throwing. <laughs> and uh, you know, you hit the can and all of a sudden your can's got a hole in it well now you have to indulge your in your beverage uh very quickly so um it usually gets out of hand pretty quick and it's a good one to uh, get the evening started but uh you know once everyone's got their can hit about two or three times you're all good to move on so that's a fun one yeah and then it it also turns into an absolute war zone in the middle because you finish and you just throw your can in the middle and then there's like a nice pile that you throw your darts over it's uh Yeah, something that 20-year-olds play, I think. Ah, it sounds great. I'm 45. I want to play yeah, some beer well, darts. Let's do it this weekend. It's I was fun. just going to say, uh, one of our listeners, Chris, talked about real lawn darts and how with a dart dart, like back when we were kids, about how many people almost were impaled or were impaled by that. And they moved on from that because of the danger. And here you are in this day and age. Yeah. Picking and up some darts anyway. Everyone in my group got a... closer together. I got one in the knee once. Um, <laughs> and they called me dart knee for a while. But uh, so yeah, everyone's got a beer so dart story. Forte, what about you? Uh, I don't know if there's an actual game or if my friends made it up called the Tipsy Waiter. And so what you do is you spin as for, for, I don't know, maybe like 20 seconds or, you know, when you put your head on the bat and you spin around so you get really dizzy. Well, you do that and then you pick up a tray that has like five or six cups of water on it and you make like an obstacle course. You have chairs and stuff that's in the way and you have to go through this obstacle course all dizzy and you can't spill any of the drinks. And if you spill like three of the drinks. Well, then you have to take three by the end of the course, you have to take three sips of your beer and, uh, you know, try to keep your uh, drinks down because you're going to be dizzy and uh, try not to uh, spill your drinks. On, I just on, call that Friday night. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> this is there a game go. for it, I just Googled it. And the hilarious part is that it's being sold online and it just features solo cups. Like that's really? the game. You can buy six solo cups and play t- tipsy, tipsy waiter. <laughs> Ackling, what about you? Uh, well, I guess quarters, if we're, if we're going down the road of, uh, games that involve alcohol and, and trying to get there faster or get your friends there faster. It's, uh, just sitting around a table with uh, your drinks and you bounce quarters into a glass. And if say I get it in and then cam doesn't get it in, Cam's got to sip a drink. If we go around the horn and it gets back to me, one, two, three, four, and then I miss, then I got to take four sips of my drink. Uh, the most drinks I ever had to take was in Banff. I had to take 32 sips. Okay. Yeah. a boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and there's video evidence of this game back in the late 90s. Uh, Ken Neal, I know you're listening this morning. You moved the glass. I've got the mi- video evidence. <laughs> and you sabotaged my turn. And I will never, ever forgive you for it. <laughs> And Lorraine, we only got 30 seconds, but you got one oh, quick? I'm going to leave it with the listener because after you said you were dart me, Skylar, someone got hit in the face. They called him dart mouth. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's good. That, that gets the last word. <laughs>
It is time for our small town salute, and this morning we are heading east of the city of Winnipeg to find out about an annual community celebration with a terrific name and even better backstory. So, set it up this way. Throughout the 1980s and into the early 90s, the Oak Bank Town Fair was known as the Great Canadian Chicken Derby. This event, put on by the local Lions Club, became a much-beloved fair in June featuring, yes, chicken races. People would come from all over Manitoba and as far away as Minneapolis to race chickens. This fair boasted a parade, traveling casino, local showcases, entertainment, and all around great time. Unfortunately, the Great Canadian Chicken Derby eventually wound down until several communities came together to reimagine the festival. So this morning, Ad Hoc, that stands for Anola, Dugald, Hazel Ridge, Oak Bank, and Cooks Creek Entertainment Association... Oak Bank chairperson Mike Bertram joins us now to talk about chicken days. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. I don't know if you have the history at your fingertips, but how did this area get into chicken racing decades ago? Oh, that that precedes my time <laughs> on this, uh, but it is very well known in the community, and it's a, a sense of pride that the, we once held this massive uh, world-famous chicken racing event. Well, if you can race turtles in Boisevane, I don't see a reason why you can't race chickens in, in Oak Bank, right, Mike? That's true, and it, it takes a lot less time to finish the race. So so now that Chicken Days is, is not any longer the Great Canadian Chicken Derby, are there any chicken races to be found? There is certainly. We have revised the chicken races. It's a slightly different format than the 80s. Uh, we don't have people actually bringing their own chickens. Uh, we supply the chickens. Uh, they wear colorful pennies, which people can bet on the color uh, during the race. And uh, they run in a oval that uh, is approximately 12 foot by 8 foot uh, in dimension. And... They finish a lap at their own pace, so each race takes a couple of minutes. So it's it's a lot of fun to watch, and it's very exciting. So the website is chickendays.ca. That's spelled D-A-Z-E. It's happening June 9th, 10th, and 11th. So this is, like, you've got a full slate of events. When does it start, I guess? When does it get rolling? Uh, we start up on Friday at 6 o'clock. And we go into the wee hours of the night on Friday, and we're again on at uh, starting with our parade Saturday morning at 10.30, and go through the entire day of Saturday into the wee hours, and uh, noon till 6 on Sunday. I know you have all sorts of things on the agenda that people can do throughout the weekend. It's not just about the chicken races. But I did have a quick question. I grew up on a farm, and we had chickens at one point. They are not the world's smartest animal. At some point in the race... Did not a few just <laughs> end up in the wrong corner or lost or just pecking at something else? Oh, definitely. And again, that's part of the excitement. <laughs> See, I love it. You might have a lead chicken who's everyone's yelling and cheering for and decides to chase a fly over to uh, another <laughs> corner. So. It's like uh, mini soccer when the kids decide they've had enough <laughs> yeah. and they're just going to go play over on the uh, jungle gym or, some daisies. or something. Yeah, something yeah. similar. Hey, I know you. You're in my class. Anyway, uh, Mike, uh, this event obviously is an opportunity to bring not only uh, Oak Bank, the community Oak Bank, but all this whole group of of communities around Oak Bank and, and just, you know, give us the 30-second elevator pitch as to, to why it's so much fun. Well, it, that is probably the, the best party that you just mentioned here is it's, it's an event that brings the entire RM together. It's not just centralized to the one town. So we, uh, we offer services such as we have a rural ride home program where we actually rent shuttle buses to go and get people from their homes and bring them here to uh, Oak Bank you know, from all parts of the RM. Uh, we have a town shuttle that runs throughout the town of Oak Bank uh, throughout the entire event. So uh, we people don't need to drive, and uh, you know they can have fun knowing that they don't have to drive home. Um, but basically, there's something for everyone. There's children's entertainment. We have uh, Prairie Exotics showing their exotic animal display on Saturday. We have face painting and balloon animals and glitter tattoos for kids. 
Uh, we have uh, a wing eating contest, which is a lot of fun and it's, it's gained a lot of traction over the years. Um, we have a group of six different denominational churches that come together and have one large mass uh, uh, worship service on Sunday morning at our facility. And uh, we have the uh, Chamber of Commerce of Springfield has a Youth of Springfield contest where kids put in uh, idea, a video of ideas to uh, business, and then they present, the finalists present to a panel on our stage, sort of like a shark's den, so to speak. What sort of food do we need to ask? What kind of food you'll have on tap? Yeah. Well, we have uh, our carnival provides food, and then we have uh, another assortment of, of food trucks who will come, which uh, range, again, from chicken wings to uh, pierogies to uh, wrap sandwiches. It's, it's a wide variety of food as well. Well, we thank you so much for joining us today to discuss this. It looks like, sounds like it's going to be an awesome time out there. So Chicken Days, we yeah. appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. And tell her in, I know very much the farm she grew on. I grew up in the town next to the farm that she grew up on. Which, which don't say Nipua. I won't say Nipua. I will say Minidosa. You grew up in Minidosa? I did. Mike, we're going to have to take this off air. I, I don't want you to get into too much about what you might know about me, you know? So <laughs> she cut the line. <laughs> Mike Bertram, he is the Oak Bank chairperson for Ad Hoc, Anola, Dougald, Hazel Ridge, Oak Bank, and Cooks Creek Entertainment Association. Once again, the website chickendays.ca, that's spelled D-A-Z-E. And uh, just for fun, make sure you check out the uh, baseball tournament. They've got the tourney draw lined up for some amusing and entertainment, entertaining team names involving many baseball innuendos. Oh, very good. Yes. So even just at the very least, check out the website for that. Yes, indeed. So that should be fun. Chicken days happening in Oak Bank. It is 745 Mackling McGarry McNabb. By the way, if you've got a, ever gotten a suggestion for a small town salute, feel free to let us know. Shoot us a text at 204-780-6868. If there's a cool event happening outside of the city you want us to share or just something Great happening in your community. Let us know. Oh, and by the way, uh, for this Chicken Days, uh, there is a note on their website as well. It's a cash-only event, but they do have two ATMs there. Perfect. And there's also a Midway. One of our listeners said, don't forget the Midway. There's a Midway. So if you want rides, you know, if you want to have those uh, donuts and then, you know, donate them to the garbage can, they've got the rides for you too. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We got a couple of things to touch on here before we talk hockey. PLD is he out of the Jets? But first, feedback on the wildfires, Greg. From Global's Anthony Fornell posted this on Twitter yesterday. He said Canada just surpassed four million hectares burned this year. And you know, you can try and visualize that all you want, but here's for comparison. Last year, by June 7th, only twenty-eight thousand hectares had burned in our country. That's an increase of about 14,400%. Right, so that's not great. So keep an eye at globalnews.ca and we'll bring you any latest developments on the wildfire situation across the country. Also a reminder that we're giving away bomber tickets for tomorrow night's game. We are asking you at 204-780-6868. What are your favorite Summer Yard Shenanigans. What does Don D have for us, Loren? Okay, Don D says, Good morning, 3M. The memories this stirred up are both spectacular and frightening. My little buddies and I had two activities we used to participate in, and I will tell you, our parents watched us. First, we used to chase the mosquito truck man down our street as he sprayed the neighborhood. That explains a lot, said Don. He also had some points about lawn darts. We'll try to get into that later, but chasing the Malathion truck or whatever the <laughs> chemical of choice was at the time, Don D, that might explain a few things. Mm-hmm. Not, not the best decision. I wonder if it created more bad decisions. All right, we're going to pick a winner for this at 9.15, so keep those stories flowing at 204-780-6868. So now we switch from football to hockey because late yesterday, a report from Hockey Insiders, Pierre Lebrun and Darren Dreger suggested that a Another large shoe had dropped in the contract situation involving one of the Winnipeg Jets' biggest stars. That's right, Brad. Our hockey insider is John Shannon joins us now. John, good morning. 
I think I think you're there. I can hear you. I can hear you breathing, John. Just a little bit of a click there. You there? I am here. Perfect. So you know the suggestion being made uh, by your counterparts uh, across the way. Dubois' agent has reportedly told the Jets that his client won't sign another contract with the Jets, even a one-year deal, which would get him to unrestricted free agency next year. What do you make of this assertion? Well, I, there's a practical side to it, Greg. Um, the Jets own his for another year, no matter what. Um, you can go to arbitration, and and he can be a Winnipeg Jet through next season, period. Hey, hey John, sorry, we're just going to put you on hold for a quick second. Uh, we were having some connection I- issues. Um, if, if, if you can just double check that off the air, uh, because yeah, we we could barely make out anything that John was saying. Technology, cell phones, sometimes they work great, sometimes they don't. Yeah, they work great until they don't work at all so uh john we we want to hear what you have to say but it was impossible every other word was was cutting out forche any luck there it looks like he's just checking with him now uh potentially reconnecting on this uh well just very quickly uh macklin what's your what was your reaction when you first heard this news well i think where john was going to to start things if i understand and, and this makes sense you know the jets do have and i mentioned this earlier have control of Pierre-Luc Dubois in the sense that he cannot become an unrestricted free agent until next year. The Jets control his rights. They have a right to sign him to a contract, uh, qualifying offer. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois also has arbitration rights, so there's a situation where they could go to arbitration and then an arbitrator would decide what Pierre-Luc Dubois' salary would be, but then that would be a, mean a contract would be in place. So if PLD didn't want to be here, under those circumstances, he would have to sit out, demand a trade, sit until he was traded, and, and that's not unprecedented. Those sorts of things happen, uh, but the likelihood of that happening, that's that's what we want to know from John and what he understands the situation to be as uh, we speak at 8.10 on this Thursday morning. Uh, the, the Jets have a number of players who are potentially on the move. There are a number of players that other teams are interested in. And John, uh, you know, I, I just outlined the idea that I think where you were going to go, that the Jets do have control of of Pierre-Luc Dubois arbitration, uh, qualifying offers, all those things sort of potentially lock PLD in place here in Winnipeg if the Jets do all the right things. But he could sit, right? I don't think that's, I don't think that's practical. I mean, are you prepared to give up? You know, six million dollars, and and if you if you are one of those players that wants to sit, what are you telling the new team that you're going to as well? It, that that's not in the best interest of of what Pierre Luc wants long term either. I don't. I just don't see that. Um, I mean, the bottom line is that Pierre Luc Dubois uh, is not prepared to sign a long term contract in Winnipeg. He understands that he has one more year of commitment to the Jets, but will not sign a long-term deal. And he, and quite frankly, uh, with the way the collective bargaining agreement works, he has that right once he becomes an unrestricted free agent. So he doesn't want to sign long-term. Do you foresee a situation where he's played his last game as a Jet, or we just it's one more year and that's it? Um, my gut tells me is this is going to be on the Jets' timetable, not on Dubois' timetable. Uh, I would not be surprised to see him in camp. I would not be surprised to see him start the season. And then as we get closer to trade deadline, God, and we're already talking about trade deadline next year, where uh, we get closer to trade deadline in February, March, uh, that if, uh, if it, it behooves the team to move him and get the best assets for him. One of the problems, too, in all this, guys, is the salary cap – is is not going up this year enough to make a difference for Dubois to sign a long-term deal anywhere else either. He's got to wait. The cap's going to go up a ton more next year after this season, uh, after the season resumes. So he, he's in a much better spot next summer, even if he leaves the Jets at that point. And just very quickly here, John, before we let you go, Montreal has always appeared to be his obvious landing spot. So how likely is that? Well, I mean, the M- Montreal is an obvious spot. Uh, he he has, you know, being bilingual helps. Uh, be having connections with the organization through his agent Pat Brisson help. But there'll be a there'll be a larger demand than one team uh, for Pierre Luc Dubois. And part part of the part of the issue in all of this 
is that in order to try to get the most for the Jets, to get the most for the Jets, having all of this play out in the public does not help Dubois. And and so you have to think and wonder what, what the end game is when it comes to making sure that this news gets out now as opposed to even during the regular season next year. Hockey insider John Shannon, thank you very much for joining us, sir. We appreciate it. Cheers. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We want to give away some tickets for tomorrow night's Bomber game. Bombers and Ticats opening the season at IG Field. And we're asking you about your favorite summer yard shenanigans. Because at 9.35, we're going to learn about the game of cornhole, which is a favorite for many, uh, not just here, but everywhere. And uh, one of our runners-up, Loren Don D, who actually had a couple of great stories. I shared the first half of this, but I'm going to start it off again because it had us all chuckling. Don says, good morning, 3M. The memories this stirred up are both spectacular and frightening. My little buddies and I had two activities we used to participate in, and I will tell you our parents watched us. He put some exclamation points there and a lot of question marks. Don says, we used to chase the mosquito truck down our street as he sprayed the neighborhood. That explains a lot. Not spring mosquitoes. Spring for mosquitoes. Spring for like so like if if you're not familiar, they're the fogging trucks, right? They would just shoot chemicals in the air, and he's he's describing this like an ice cream truck. It's not funny that they would chase afterwards, but it's spraying some sort of chemical. And in in previous years, it was not so great chemicals potentially. And then he goes on to say, now that isn't really back. Oh, sorry, we chase a Malathion truck. That isn't really backyard shenanigans, but we used to also play lawn darts, not the rounded or plastic padded darts. No, 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 no. We had those old ones with the six-inch spear tips on them. We'd all stand in a circle and take turns taking a dart and throwing it up in the air as hard as we could. (laughs) Then closing, closing our eyes, screaming, but you can't run. You just hope you don't get speared. (laughs) Thank goodness none of us ever really got hurt badly. Like Russian roulette. Honestly, they banned those, no? They got yes. banned decades ago. Yes, but they Don, got banned. Don, the idea, you know, you, this is how kids are funny. Like, it's so stupid, and you know it's dumb while you're doing it. Yep. But the sheer thrill, probably, of standing in that circle. And then you hear your buddy go, ah! <laughs> this <laughs> might be the best story of the morning, but we cannot reward the stupidity by giving them <laughs> blue bomber tickets. We simply can't. (laughs) Uh, We'll sneak one more in here. Another runner-up before we go to our winner. Uh, This from Henry, who tells many great stories. Henry Pauls, thank you, sir. Henry says one of our favorite games to play as a kid was the old tie a fishing line to a wallet and put it on the sidewalk. (laughs) We would hide the line with a little loose grass. Most people would just laugh as we inched it away from their reach. But the reaction we were looking for was that of confusion or that they are going crazy. Sometimes we would wait and yank it out of people's hands. One guy actually put it in his back pocket and we yanked it out. (laughs) Uh, So uh, that's always tough to pick one, but Gord is our winner, Greg. Story that was covered by CJOB, believe it or not, in the summer of 1973. My friend read that the world record for longest croquet game was something like 50-some hours. We set out to break it in a park across from the Grace Hospital on Armour Crescent. We set up a croquet course, and we did it. We played for 62 hours and 32 minutes. I don't know why why you stopped. Unfortunately for us, before the next Guinness Book of Records was published, our record was broken again. The experience was interesting for several reasons, including non-drug-induced sleep deprivation, (laughs) induced uh, hallucinations. For example, I had gone past a hoop and I needed to hit the ball backwards and then forwards through the hoop. I felt I was hitting uphill. So if I hit it right, the ball would go back and then roll downhill through the hoop. Astoundingly, in my mind, I made the shot. It was a great summer memory for sure. Gord, thank you so much for sharing. Sorry you didn't get into the record book, but you are getting into the bomber game tomorrow night at IG Field against the Thai Cats. So have fun with that. Thank you all for your stories, as always. A nice uh, light sort of sidebar for our show as we've discussed some rather heavy stuff this morning. We have one more pair of tickets to give away tomorrow. 
And a reminder that we've got couch potatoes. Head to cjob.com for your chance to win a Landmark Cinema's Every Ticket time, to Treats Aileron. voucher. I didn't think it would this time. It's been a few weeks. But then he said potatoes and I'm off giggling in the corner. We've been talking throughout the morning about games, yard games. And this one, it's a game many of us have played at a barbecue, on the beach, in a backyard, or maybe not at all. There are arcade games based on this now professional game. We would suggest sport is a stretch, even for those who love cornhole. This from an American Cornhole League game. I look around this arena, Jeff, and there is no room right now. It is standing room only everywhere. Clemmer with a bag on top, trying to roll it in. Almost flopped it in, but both right there very much in play. Now here's an opportunity. If you go really hard, if you're Birchfield, you may completely clog the hole. That's what he's doing. He knows it. Goes up top and hits it! What a shot by Clemmer! He's not going to get seven. He's going to get nine! It's just like that. It's a ball game. Broadcast on ESPN 8, the Ocho. (laughs) Nine! I don't know if it's ready for radio yet, but it's ready for television. The sound there is the bag hitting the wood. Mm, I did did not know that that was a thing. That was intense. It sounds fun. (laughs) So inevitably, when we have the discussion around cornhole, people want to know, how did it get its name? Well, apparently cornhole has its own James Naismith, the inventor of basketball. Legend has it that a 14th century cabinet maker by the name of Matthias Cooperman created the game after watching children toss rocks into a nearby groundhog's hole. <laughs> Cooperman was said to have been so concerned for the safety of the children that he utilized his carpentry skills and designed a safer game for them to play. And of course, the corn part, Cooperman determined a bag of corn was much safer to throw than a stone. Duh, a simple name for what is a very simple yet popular game. Okay, so clearly by now you have to get that its popularity is unmistakable. We want to welcome to the start an entrepreneur who knows firsthand just how popular cornhole is these days. Steve Olson is the founder of the Royal Canadian Cornhole Company. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. I have to say, first of all, I always just call this the beanbag toss. Are there other variations or is cornhole the go-to name for what we're talking about here? I think traditionally folks have been calling it beanbag toss, uh, but it's actually called cornhole. And whether you like that name or not, that's that's what it is. <laughs> no, and it's familiar, right? So I'm curious, is this something you grew up with as a game? Like how long have you been involved? In- I've been only kind of paying attention to cornhole for the past two or three years. We've played it as um, you know a game in the backyard or at the lake with friends and family from time to time. But more so in the past couple of years, I've had a, a bit more of an interest in it. Was that fueled by the pandemic? A little bit. I think some folks were trying to find something to do in the pandemic, in the dark times, where you couldn't go out and do anything. A lot of backyard uh, parties were happening. Uh, and these types of games sort of lent themselves to that uh, type of environment perfectly. So now, uh, rumor has it, you build some of the best boards on the planet. Tell us about your boards and how you turned uh, something that you barely knew anything about or barely played into what I understand to be a thriving business. Well, I'll take that compliment. Thank you very much. Um, we, I, I decided to start doing some woodworking um, as, as a pastime and you know, knowing that we like to play uh, cornhole and, and some other backyard games, I thought maybe we should try to make one for ourselves and went down a bit of a rabbit hole on the internet to try to figure out how to do it, what type of wood is appropriate, how big do the boards need to be, that sort of a thing, and discovered that there's an, a whole world out there um, that uh, needs to be explored. And once I made a set, I decided that it was no good. It did not meet any sort of uh, quality test that I would have and uh, started to refine that process and um, thought maybe we could sell some of these just online to some friends and family, and it sort of took off from there. When you say these went from friends and family to online, then what kind of response are we seeing for, for buying the game? Yeah, we, I, it's more than, more than I would have ever thought. Um, I sort of put an ad out on Facebook um, a little over a year ago, um, sort of just, as a gag to myself to see if someone would be willing to buy one. And the demand was there immediately. Um, I received orders 
almost day one for these types of boards, given that they are a uh, professional size and professional quality. I think some folks were looking for that as opposed to something you can get at a big box store and the ability to customize it was also an option. So um, once that demand started to pick up, I realized there might be a, a legitimate opportunity here to pursue this further. And that's what we've done into this year. And is it true that you're you're building the games that will be, or you're building the boards that will be used at the World Police and Fire Games? That is correct. Uh, those boards were made about a year ago now already. And um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to to be introduced to those folks, and I yeah made the games for them, put their design, their logos, their branding on the boards, and we've been uh, using them actually at our. A cornhole league, the South Central Cornhole League, that's been playing all this past winter and spring. We've been breaking the boards in, and now they're ready to go for the games coming up in July. So, our curling rocks are used right across the country, and 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 major bond spiels. Those MCA rocks are are famous across the globe in the world of curling. Maybe your boards become just as famous. But Scott, this idea of customization, people want something in their backyard that speaks to them. My, my social media is, is filled with opportunities to buy different signs, different things to, to put up in my backyard. So talk about how customized can I get for my corn board, a uh, uh, whole set that I, I'm cornhole board set that I'm, I'm for sure going to be ordering from you any day now. <laughs> well, yeah, you can, if, Whatever you can dream, we can usually do it on a cornhole board. Certainly, there's some limitations here and there. But if you had a design in mind, for example, we just did a, a set for, for a lovely family that wanted a particular flag uh, on the board. Um, so we created a design that would meet their needs, put it on the board through a vinyl wrap, similar to something you would put onto a vehicle. We adhere it to the board. It's professionally printed. And, and you can have, you know, whatever sort of design you want, perhaps a family name on there, a, a picture of uh, something that is near and dear to you. Um, so anything is, is, is on the table. Are you good at this game? Like, could you be uh, the next person we see featured in a national or international competition? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I, I, people ask me all the time, well, oh, you must be, you must be great. Uh, how do you do it? Do you practice a lot? And, the truth of the matter is I hardly have any time to play the game. I'm too busy trying to make the games and, and provide some fun for everybody else. I, I tend to forget about having some fun myself. Scott Olson, Royal Canadian Cornhole Company. Just Google it. Scott, is this like a full-time endeavor for you now? It is not. That's the goal. Um, perhaps, um, you know, as the business grows, it will turn into that. Um, it's still still part-time but uh, it does take up more than part-time of my time if that makes sense i'm a curling guy scott olson creeped it, creeped in there <laughs> long time third in our province steve olson royal canadian cornhole company what's the what's the website steve uh, very simple royalcornhole.ca and um by the way what uh, what is in the the bag like the bean is it a bean bag or is it actual corn like what it's used in well, that. Traditionally, yeah, traditionally it was filled with corn pellets, um, and some folks, you know, swear to that by this, you know, to this day. But most of the professional players, um, even most recreational players, now have their bags filled with a, a resin pellet, a, a synthetic corn pellet, something plastic that's not going to rot over time. It's not going to degrade. It's not going to be dusty, uh, that sort of a thing. And would you, have you tried both? Like, I'm just wondering, is there, which one, which one flies better, flies more true? Well, it's, it's kind of like a, a golf club. So you can spend a lot of money on a really great driver, but you're still going to slice it into the bush, right? So <laughs> it, all, it all depends on, on You've the, met Brett. the individual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate this, and uh, congrats on being involved in the police and fire games. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Steve Olson, founder of Royal Canadian Cornhole Company. I've only just been introduced to this game maybe in the last 10 years, and uh, it is so fun and so addicting. It's one of those things where you could be sitting around at the, ca at the cabin with your buddies, just you know, having a few beers, and then someone says, let's play cornhole, and then I, once I start, I... Don't want to stop. You could literally do it win. while sitting, too, if you really felt like <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> I guess you could. Well, as I mentioned uh, the last time we spoke about cornhole on the air, 
The first time I played it was in Minnedosa. It was at a Rotary event at a McNabb farm. Way back in the day. It must have been over 20 years ago. Like at 97 different McNabs in Minnedosa, you'll have to be more specific. Yeah, I can't I can't say. I'm not <laughs> at liberty to disclose whose farm it was, but uh, you know who it is. Officers from the Wasagming Detachment of the RCMP were dispatched to the home in Erickson where they found a 30-year-old woman with, quote, significant but non-life-threatening injuries. Police said a male suspect who wasn't previously known to the victim fled the scene after the incident. An 18-year-old suspect was arrested yesterday afternoon and remains in custody. The victim was treated for her injuries and is now in hospital here in Winnipeg, Loren. So we were made aware of this situation prior to the RCMP sharing their details through a GoFundMe page. And we're joined now by Michelle McMunn, sister of the victim's fiancé. Good morning, Michelle. Thank you for joining us. I know this hasn't been an easy few days. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, it's definitely been, um, yeah, not easy for anyone. No, I want to get into what you know about what transpired. But first, I just want to talk about your sister-in-law. The police said yesterday that they're happy to report she's in stable condition, but, quote, she's going to have some matters to take care of for quite a while now in relation to her injuries. The injuries were quite severe. So what can you tell us about how she's doing this morning? So, yeah, she does have a lot of severe injuries. Um, yeah, so the she did get stabbed in the abdomen. Um, she had surgery the other day to get the... Sh- shard from the knife that was left over and her skull removed um her whole face looks like it's sewn on there's so many stitches Uh, my brother has been spoon feeding her because she can't open up her jaw um her jaw had they don't know if it's broken i'm not sure if it's broken but the knife went through her mouth into the other side um yeah honestly i I was really surprised by the fact that they said non-life-threatening injuries. It's crazy to me. I know sometimes they use that phrase just because it means, you know, that that she will survive. But that doesn't mean there aren't life-altering injuries. And I think this might be the case, whether it's mentally or physically, Michelle, that this will be a recovery uh, weeks and years in the making, potentially. Right, yeah. And her arms, too. Her arms are both in casts right now. She can't move. She's basically just bedridden. Now, Michelle, I, I understand from what I've I've read, and maybe you can confirm this for us, that uh, Candace is in fact pregnant, yes? Correct, yeah. And we found that out through this. Um, she had mentioned it to the, um, to the suspect while she was getting stabbed. So uh, this, you know, are things okay on that front, at least to, to this point? Are you able to share that with us? We, we, we don't want to be overly intrusive on, on this, but what, what can you share? Right. So, um, yeah, I honestly, I don't know if they know Um, she's in her first trimester and she's quite early on, which could have maybe saved the baby's life. But it's at that stage right now where the baby is just so small that they're not really sure. It's just so early on that they can't tell, but but they are monitoring it. This is obviously uh, shaken a lot of people, not only, uh, you know, in in Winnipeg and our listeners right now, but in the community of Erickson and perhaps in small towns everywhere. So ta- tell us about Scott and Candace. And th- they were active members of the community. They own a restaurant there, correct? Yeah, that's the that's another thing is, is everybody was so excited about moving there. And they had just opened up this like awesome restaurant. They're both really great chefs. Um, they've been together for 11 years. And yeah, I think there was just a lot of excitement in the community that this was happening, that they had this new restaurant, and then this happened less than a year later. So, crazy. And we also understand there's a GoFundMe page uh, that's been created for this? Yeah, yeah. My aunt um, took it into her own hands and decided that she wanted to do this just to relieve them of some stress while they're just trying to heal and be there for each other. I don't think they even knew that the GoFundMe was in place until... Someone else had mentioned it to them, but it's crazy. It's awesome seeing how many people support them. Well, there's trips back and forth to the hospital. There's the fact that no one can work for who knows how long, Michelle. And then just, of course, the mental anguish that might come from this. We did get some minimal details from RCMP, but I had said yesterday, as soon as I read this, it's an extreme event and you hope it will never happen. But I have have thought about that happening in my own home because it seems to me like your worst case scenario. And so for your sister-in-law, what have you learned about what transpired? I mean, just woken up in the middle of the night, I I cannot imagine. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. She was just laying there. She was in her basement 
because it's cold down there. She's by herself watching TV, fell asleep. Woke up to someone stabbing her in the dark. She couldn't see anything. Um, oh, I just saw the crime scene yesterday. It was horrible. Um, there was blood all over the bed, all over the floor. Um, it looked like she fought hard, though, and that's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so there, we have no motive. We're still trying to find out why this would happen to her. We have no idea, but she was in and out of consciousness because of the amount of blood she was losing. And um, I honestly think he probably just thought she was dead, which is why he left. And then once she kind of got up again and, you know, came back to, she managed to make it all the way up the stairs. You can see the blood marks all over the stairway, um, walked over, trembled over to the neighbor's house and the door happened to be open. Thank God. Thank God. And she just fell. She just fell in the middle of the house and screamed, help me. And thank God this lady was a nurse. And she, Candace says that this lady saved her life. Uh, Michelle, uh, this is just startling revelation on the details here. How How is your brother doing? Oh, my God. He's so distraught. He's just, he just feels awful. Like the one night, you know, the one night that he just wasn't home on a random Monday, you know, like just a weird coincidence. And I don't think, I think he's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. He's just going to live with that guilt, you know, even though it's not his fault, it's just hard for him to, to live with that. But he wasn't there to help, you know? And I'm guessing they, they probably never felt unsafe in their community prior to this. Never, never. I mean, yeah, like I grew up there too. We grew up there and that's just not something that happens there. It's uh, This is the kind of story you hope never happens to you, and yet here you are. And so if you haven't asked anyone listening to right now, Michelle, what might it be? Because I don't know if there's anything to learn from this other than that, boy, she sounds like she fought hard. So grateful that that neighbor is there. And now you have this community coming together to make sure they're not feeling alone at this time. Right. So, sorry, what was the question? If you want people to hear anything today, is there any help we can provide or anything we can do that would make things a little easier? Um, good question. Um, I think, I think they just need time. I mean, I know that she's, she's a lot of PTSD. Um, from what I've understood, I'm going to visit her today, but she can't sleep with the, with the light off. She just needs time. She just needs time to heal and she needs to, to go probably to therapy for a long time. Um, but no, honestly, if I have anything to say, it's probably just thank you to everyone because our whole family talks about how, how much people have just been there for us as a family and Candace and Scott. And yeah, it's amazing. So just thank you. And we appreciate it. Thank you, Michelle. We appreciate you sharing this story. I know it's difficult uh, to have a spokesperson on behalf of, of your brother and his fiance and, and your family uh, can't be easy. So we appreciate you making time for us this morning and, uh, and all, all the best, all the best wishes, love support that uh, can be sent uh, via this uh, radio and the telephone right now uh, coming your way. Great. Thank you guys so much. Michelle McMunn joining us live on 680 CJOB, the sister of the victim's fiance in this Story And if you want to make a donation, the GoFundMe page is active. The goal was $20,000. So far, they've raised $22,985. And if you just, we can share the link with you, uh, or you can just, if you just Google GoFundMe Candace, it's the first one that popped up for me. And uh, I, I'm just, uh, I am teary thinking about the terror that, that would have been felt in that moment and, and the terror that, that you'd still be feeling now. And when you talk about, sure, we have health care that's, you know, quote, unquote, free in this province. But, man, the long-term impacts of this are going to be their business and, and moving on, trying to move on with life and therapy down the road. This is, not a, this is not a quick healing job by any accounts. And so our thoughts, of course, are with Candace and her fiancé. And a big thank you again to Michelle. That's not easy, as you said, Greg, to come out and be the spokesperson. And by spokesperson, we just mean someone who's willing to talk about it. Because in some respects, you know, she had mentioned that... When RCMP used the term non-life-threatening, that's a term. But for the rest of her life, life will be altered. And that's, I think, sometimes we, we see these headlines and we move on from them. And it's important to hopefully never never forget how hard someone's life is going to be going forward. Life threat, Non-life-threatening does not mean non-life-altering. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, in case you're just tuning in. Uh, we just had a really difficult conversation 
with a woman named Michelle McMunn. She is the sister of the victim's fiance in the home invasion that took place early Tuesday in the community of Erickson. And uh, the details she shared on this attack, uh, I can honestly say that's the... I don't know that I've ever been so thrown off, floored by what was described. I the The terror this woman experienced is beyond imagination and uh yeah i'm just <laughs> i just finished crying off the air i can't the the atrocities that this woman endured are unbelievable and loren you've been a journalist for a long time you've been around the world you've covered horrific things since you were a young person and i with brett listened to what michelle shared with us and my jaw was on the floor and you get the sanitized language around these things sometimes. And I know, I know RCMP have their job to do and they have their, the way they, they, they coach things and the way they frame them. But this is what, this is what people are up against right now in communities, the violence, the violent crime. And we get the headline, we get the story, it goes away. And how often are we going back and revisiting the trial of these individuals, you know, it, it, it appears as though and we have every reason to believe that Candace is going to physically survive this. She's not going to die from this. So what are the chances that we're paying attention to two and a half, maybe three years from now when this thing finally gets to trial? And some people might accuse us of sensationalism for for sharing that story on the air. But I think people need to know what happened. I think for a number of reasons. One, if you were in that community and you might just hear that someone was taken to hospital and someone's arrested, well, no, it was so much more than that. I'm going to put a warning out again as I recap what was said. So if you're listening and you have kids, you you might want to turn the radio down. But, you know, she talked about her sister-in-law waking up, fell asleep downstairs watching TV in the basement, wakes up to to being stabbed by what an unknown assailant, stabbed in the face, stabbed in the abdomen. She's five weeks pregnant and pleading with this person to stop what they're doing. Knife in her head. And so... Surgically had to be removed. Surgically removed. And you get to hospital and we hear that she's unstable. And you hear some of those words sometimes. And and until you've gone through it, you have no idea. Stable means probably so unstable. It means you're nowhere near stable, but you're going to survive. That's fine. You have to hear that because... I do think a home invasion, this is not sensationalizing to me. I do think it's something that we all think about in our house. You, When you lock the doors, when you when you think about who might be out there, when you hear about the crime going on there, people coming into homes just to steal things for to fuel drug addictions or what have you. We don't know the circumstances here, but you need to know what happened behind. And then I do think going forward for for so many things, the accountability part is one side of it. Knowing what happened to the accused and where they ended up is a huge part of it, but also never forgetting, as we keep saying, that just because you survive doesn't mean you aren't forever changed in all sorts of ways. And so, man, what an incredibly horrific story. What a brave woman. I have to read this text message from a listener here. I appreciate the sharing the details simply for the fact it's important Canadians know that these things go on. And throughout my 20-year career as an RCMP officer, this is not an isolated incident. If you want the link for the GoFundMe page to help Candace, you can shoot us a text. We can share it with you. Or if you just want to Google GoFundMe Candace, you will find it. Uh, already I see a few extra $100 have been added in the last 10 minutes or so. Uh, 